Cunha. Welcome to Expat Hoops, where we talk to basketball players who have played professionally overseas. Jamal Schuler joins us today, whose career has taken him all around Europe and Israel after he finished up his time at Virginia Commonwealth. Before we talk to Jamal, I want to remind you to be interactive with us at Expat Hoops. We're active on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also show your support for content like this by hitting the like button, subscribing to our channel, or commenting below the video on our YouTube page. We also have a Patreon page, which you can find the button for that up in the corner of the YouTube page. Now, if you'll join Tony and I in welcoming Jamal to Expat Hoops, welcome to the show, Jamal. Man, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Well, we're really happy to have you, uh, despite what we're supposed to do as Mason grads, uh, which we, we <laughs> joked off the pod a little bit about that. But we will ask you about your VCU days uh, just for a little bit. We do largely talk about overseas, but do like to hit college a little bit. Uh, what were your fondest memories uh, from your VCU days? Man, all those those rivalry games, you know, with, with, with Mason. Um of course, Mason to know to you, man, it doesn't, you know, get any, any, any better than that. I would say that the spiders, but you know, they don't really count, you know, in my <laughs> opinion. So, but you know, those, I, I one game I remember against Mason, it was going to be a, a TV game and um, the fans were going crazy on us. They were posting pictures of us at parties and they had one of me holding a great goose bottle and everything. So it was like, uh, I went to the free throw line. They were screaming out alcoholic. I was like, come on, man. This is my mom is watching this, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was always fun, man. I, I, I love, I love the atmosphere. And, um, you know, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. So this is, uh, you're obviously highly, highly successful college career at VCU. Um, this is always kind of the difficult question for us to ask because I'm sure for a long period of time that you wanted to be a professional and continue to, to play professionally. So I guess my question is at what point in your career did you really actually start saying, okay, how do I become a professional as in, you know, whether it's going to the NBA or going internationally and what were the steps that you took at that time? Man, I would say, I would say the summer of my senior year, and I and and honestly, I I owe everything you know really to Eric Maynard because he was getting so much attention from you know uh, Steve Nash camps, the LeBron camps, and stuff like that, and he he really taught me a, a work ethic of you know let's get in the gym, let's okay we got practice here, but let's get in the morning, let's do extra, do extra. So you know just seeing him work towards his goal of you know, get into the NBA and how hard he worked for it. I was just like, okay, maybe, you know, I'm not on the NBA radar, but, you know, if I, if I ride his coattail and, you know, steal something from him, I can, I can make a trajectory overseas and, um, you know, it ended up working out for me. So between, we, we've heard commonly on this show sometimes before, either people are approached by agents or their coaching staff might know an agent or two or something and say, Hey, look, if you're going to be playing, this is maybe who you should talk to and, you know, see where it goes. So mm -hmm. between Eric coaching staff, anybody like that, was there anybody particularly helpful in terms of linking you up with your agent or were you able to just kind of did that on your own? Man, I didn't, I didn't hear, I didn't hear anything, uh, you know, and, and it kind of, it kind of, I kind of took a hit, um, uh, and CAA play, you know, for like two or three weeks, like my play declined because I was like, 
okay, well, Eric's Eric's on the NBA radar. Larry Sanders on the NBA radar. I'm like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to be. So, you know, my, my stats, you know, went down, I played a bunch of bad games and then I was just like, you know what, uh, I'm going to leave it all on the line and then whatever happens, happens. And I end up signing with the agent, um, you know, uh, during the Portsmouth Invitational, which I, I mean, I didn't get invited to, but, you know, I went out there, saw, saw the guys playing and, you know, signed with my agent. So, like I said, it, you know, it was a blessing it ended up working out for me. That's great to hear. And um, I think that, let's see here, this is probably going to be the segment because I can't minimize like when I, when Tony's the host. So let me, let me pause for a second mm-hmm. uh, before I ask the next question. Obviously that's the one thing that's great about we're not live. Mm-hmm. So I can just cut this last like you can 20 seconds. Out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'll go back. Before we actually get into going overseas, there is one aspect of uh, your life that was kind of interesting. One of the people that helped set up this interview uh, shout out to Mike Litos, mm-hmm. uh, really great blog that he has. He ran a story on you last year where, you know, discussed a lot in your life, um, including a period of time where I think it was after your seventh grade year, you went to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd encourage anybody listening to this to go read that. We'll probably link it in the, the YouTube section and everything, but specifically asking you about that period of time, you'd grown up in North Carolina to that point, did return to North Carolina, but at that point, no frame of reference with Arizona. Do you think that that really helped prepare you for overseas down the line? Man, that that set up that set up all the preparation for for college, for overseas, you know, and just in life in general. You know, it it, it helped me see something, uh, you know, a different part of the world, um, which you know, younger kids really, you know, you grow up in one area and you know you pretty much move out when you go to college, so. You know, when my dad brought, you know, brought the, his orders to the family and it was either Bakersfield, California or Yuma, Arizona. And, um, you know, we chose Yuma as a family. And, um, you know, it just, it, you know, it was just us out there. So, you know, it, it set me up for, you know, preparing for, you know, the unknown, you know what I mean, for, for, for my career and in the life. So it, it definitely helped me out because in, in uh, North Carolina, I was, you know, headed down that path, getting in trouble and, you know, not really putting grades in basketball in the forefront. So it, it really helped me just focus on school and basketball. And then, you know, my career took off. Well, speaking of your career, uh, I think, Tony, that's probably the logical point for you to jump in. I've, I've hogged a lot of the time. So <laughs> <laughs> you began your career overseas in Germany. It would be the only time you stopped there. You've gone back and forth between uh, several countries for much of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, but Germany was your first stop. Um, your contract there was a year, but you ended up playing multiple seasons anyway, mm-hmm. um, when you ended up going there. So talk to us about your experience in Germany, how you end up getting started there and how you ended up extending your time, which also the, the experience that we've had in the show is that most people play year to year, two year contracts are relatively right. rare. So right. being able to extend your time in a country is, is something noteworthy. So, um, like you said, being new to everything, I actually signed my, uh, my, my deal, um, at, at Eric Maynard's like draft party, you know what I mean? So it was, that, you know, it was kind of, that was kind of crazy because, uh, uh, what people don't know is that teams, teams will sign you to a two-year deal, but it'll be the team's option. 
So my first contract was a, a one plus one, but that second year was the team option. So, okay, if your first year you don't play bad, okay, we're not going to pick the option up. But if you play good, they'll come to you in, you know, February, March, like, hey, we want to pick your option up. But how my situation was, I, I played good my rookie year, and a lot of teams in Germany, you know, higher teams wanted me. And my deadline to pick up that option was uh, the last date in, in June. So, you know, teams usually they do their recruiting beginning of June, July to put their team together. And my team waited till uh, midnight Eastern time to pick my option up. So that's how I ended up playing two years in Germany. Hmm. And to the very last second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I had, I had a lot of, a lot of teams, high level teams that were, Hey, what you doing for next year, man, we really want you at this position. I'm like, I can't commit to anything because I'm waiting on my team now. So. And it ended up working out for you. And ended up working out. <laughs> um, your dad, your, he was in the military stationed yes, in Germany. Uh, mm-hmm. He gave you some advice on how to handle the country. Correct. 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 He was, he was there. He, he, uh and what helped me out is I had my military ID out of college. So I was maybe, you know, 45 minutes from a base. So I was getting eating American food my first two years. I, you know, I was kind of spoiled and, and, and lucky. But, you know, you know, just talking to him, he made it he made it easier for me to make the leap by myself because he's like, hey, man, I had to do it by myself in the, in the military. You know, you and you, your mom, and, and your brother and sister were were in the states. So, um, you know, he he definitely helped me. You know, uh, you know, just make that transition smoother. So, actually, before we move on and and before we get out of Germany, actually, during your first two years, in terms of seeing the country and adapting and and making, what were the some of the things that you would like to do in your first uh, couple seasons in Germany? I was man. I had a. Uh, another uh mason grad george george evans he was he was my vet on the team so whatever he was doing i was doing so whether that was you know playing monopoly at his house uh watching nfl because he had the 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 sky box at the time you know um going to the club you know whatever whatever big george is doing wherever he was at i was there so um just trying to pass the time if it if it wasn't a -a two-a-day practice so was he playing there at the time? He said he, he was a teammate. He was my teammate. He was my teammate, man. He had big, big George. He played, he played another. So I played two years in Germany. He played another three years after that, you know, before he retired. Wow. So yeah, yeah I think he, he only, was, he was he, going strong. Didn't he only really play in two countries? When I say only play in two countries. Yeah, I mean, Belgium, Belgium. Multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. Belgium yep, was, and Germany. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought that that was the case. And actually that's one of the funny things is, uh, when we started the podcast and one of the common uh, refrains from some of the Mason fans is, Hey, see if you can get George Evans. And like, I don't think he has much of a social media profile or anything nope, like that. So. He is low key. I, I haven't heard from, I haven't heard from big George in, in years, man. And he, that's how low key he is, man. Thank you. This is, this is going to be a, we're going to cut <laughs> this out and, and yeah. put this on our boards. <laughs> and, 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 and whoever finds him, tell him I'm looking, tell him his, his young guy's looking for him. So. And that'll help me out. This, yeah, this is this is gold for us right now. <laughs> it, it's quite remarkable too that we found someone that crossed paths with him because I mean he was mm-hmm. an older guy when he was in college. Like he mm-hmm. wasn't 
And I remember being a young guy, you know, just watching ESPN and, you know, seeing his highlights on ESPN. And, and that's the first thing I told him, you know, when, when, when I arrived in Germany and we were having lunch together, I'm like, man, I remember you. I, like, I've been watching you since I was a kid. You know what I mean? So it's, it, it's crazy how life works, man. Yeah. That's remarkable. Um, but enough about George Evans. Let's talk more. About um, you won an all-star slam dunk contest uh, mm-hmm. while you're in Germany as well. That's pretty unique for uh, guests on the show. I don't think we've had a guy who's won a dunk contest before. Um, <laughs> tell us about that experience. That must've been quite something. You must've gotten a few fans uh, after that. Man, I don't, I, I, I think it was just all fan and, and crowd interaction, man. And, and I had a game plan and, and I stuck to it with every, everybody else who I was a, competing against could jump higher than me it was way more a- athletic they were trying crazier stuff what was just missing and um how, how that all-star setup works is we had a game uh in frankfurt the day before and um you know on the road back george and my, and my guy chris copeland was like all right, all right shoot this is what we're gonna do you got four dunks we're gonna go down the line and um we just executed it perfectly you know i, I didn't miss a dunk I, like I said, I wasn't the highest jumper or, or anything like that, but I, I executed, I got the crowd involved and, you know, the rest was history. And actually, this is kind of interesting. Um, we've heard from some different people, mostly in Italy and, and some of the other countries too, but in your first two years in Germany, you know, you played really well your first year. You got the option mm-hmm. to pick up the second one you were hearing from lots of other teams. Mm-hmm. What was it like in in the country where you recognized quite a bit um you know by the end of your second year in germany or what was it like being an athlete uh in germany at that point in time that had been playing really really well right so um so how your how europe is set up and in overseas basketball is um so in, in America, you have your NBA teams and you could be a, a Lakers fan in Virginia or, you know, vice versa, a Knicks fan in California. So in, in your city, wherever you're playing at, you're an NBA star, you know, like, in, so you're automatically like, okay, if you have a good game, like you're the best player I've ever seen, you know what I mean? In, in their eyes. And so you, you can start locally in your city, but once, once you, you know, get the attention around the whole country with the know the top level teams that's that's when you start seeing guys like you know okay i i really i i get this i'm i'm getting the hang of it i'm you know i'm knowing the league and stuff like that so um it it, it you know you always getting attention in 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 the grocery store uh you know the movies wherever you're at so uh like you say if if, if you're on that team in that city you're like the, the biggest attraction if you if you're not sharing a city with a soccer team so the the big the big if there the big exactly <laughs> exactly exactly because soccer trumps everything overseas I don't care who what anybody says so yeah you know if you if you're the lone basketball team there you you're it so from Germany you ended up in France where you spent a lot of time in your career mm-hmm. uh, you after Germany you spent three years in plants uh, in in, uh, in France mm-hmm. uh, including in 2011 where you won the French Super Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like you grew as a player in your first stint in France after going into Germany? Oh man, what, what people actually don't know, man, I was on the verge of getting cut my first year in France. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's what showed me 
how cutthroat this business could be because, you know, um, we started with, and, you know, another CA guy, my, my, one of my best friends, Frank Elligar from Drexel, we were on the same team and um, he ended up going down with a, uh, a heart issue. So he had to miss the first three months of the season. So that set us back because he was our star player. You know what I mean? So we started off the season like terrible, right? to, to be honest. We started terrible. And then when we got him back, we were the hottest team in the second half. But, you know, that slow start, they were, you know, and a lot of overseas guys know you get off to a slow start, the team is like, okay, I want to, I need a two guard to replace Jamal. I need a point guard to replace the guy I have to give something new. And, um, Actually, my, my point guard kind of saved me because I, I just had a baby and he was like, you know what? I'm going to go to this other team. They're going to keep you. Everything's going to be great. And then after that, man, I like my game went to a different level. Like I, I, I didn't average nothing less than 20 points. The team loved me so much. They named me captain. I was like, man, y'all just wanted to cut me two weeks ago. Like what's going on? You know what I mean? So it, it just showed me how you know, how cutthroat the, the business could be. But um, that, that first year, it, it it's helped me springboard and, and pretty much give me some longevity in France, some respect. So, you know, I, I, the good and the bad, it helped me out. I'm Jeremiah Hill, and you're listening to Expat Groups. Subscribe to their YouTube channel and follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And listening to them on five. George Podcasting Network on your favorite podcasting platform. You spent until 2013 there. You returned in 2014 to win the 2015 mm-hmm. Euro Challenge, mm-hmm. and you were named a Final Four MVP. So you've had a lot of success in France. Mm-hmm. Um, for Nanterre, I believe that's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So you're there in 2014 and 2015. You had your accolades there. You were there again in 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017 French Super Cup title with that team. So you mm-hmm. have a lot of hardware from France. Yes, sir. Uh, it's, it's quite a place. It's a place where you've seen a great deal of success. And of course, in the meantime, in 2015, you spent uh, two years for Monaco, which is in the French league, though it's not, mm-hmm. you know, France. Right, right, You're right. essentially playing the same teams as you did before. So right. you might as well have uh, stuck around. It's not that far away. Exactly, um, exactly. French Leaders Cup, all French league first team, two years in a row for French league Leaders Cup, and then the Champions League Final Four in 2017. Mm-hmm. Maybe your most successful stint with Monaco there. So this is yeah, this is sure. all of the accolades that you developed together in the French League, as mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a lot of time there. When you've been in the French League for that long, and you know your competition that well, is that something that that carries with you? Are you were you well known throughout the French League? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I you know, I, I just, uh, you know, the thing that, you know, me and my wife and my family love about France is that uh, the, the fans uh, became like our family, you know, and then, and when I was on the road, they looked out for my wife and my, my children. Um, you know, when my wife would travel to games, they would make sure she was okay, even in a hostile environment. So just just getting that love and, and and respect from the fans and some fans became family. I still talk to them today, uh, you know, re- very close. So um, and, and my attitude is, you know, I'm, I'm a very welcoming person. Like I like to compete. 
but I like to compete with a smile on my face. And, you know, uh, and, and I think that that carried over, that gave me some respect and my, and my game backed it up. So it, it kind of, it kind of worked for me, you know, um, France, uh, of course, but Monaco especially is always going to be my second home. My, my youngest daughter was born there. So it's, it's, it's just a lot of memories on and off the court. And like I said, when, when you can, you know, not only have the respect in your city, but the whole country, you know, from, from the likes of Tony Parker, Nicholas Batum, Ronnie Turioff, like, all these guys that that I can say, like, you know, I, you know, I know them and got some respect from them is is a good feeling. I was gonna say actually, I think as as we're recording this, there was a, a social media post that you put out uh, not too long ago. And in the comments, I'm pretty sure I saw some people who said, come back to Monaco, come back to Monaco. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's like that. Like when you I, like I said, I don't I, I don't treat the, the fans for the city that I play for, I don't just treat them as fans like, okay, clap and, you know, thank you for coming out and I don't want to talk to you. Like, no, I really like get to know as, as many people as I can. And like I said, fans become family and that's, that's you know, holds true to this day. And, um, you know, I think people really, you know, genuinely respect and, and, you know, they know that my passion for the game and my passion just to be a, a, a good person, you know, they, they relate to that, so. One of the things that really kind of jumped out at me when you were talking, and first of all, it was great to hear that the fans would make sure that your wife and your family was was good and everything like that, mm-hmm. especially where you're saying a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. We've heard about hostile environments from overseas. Most of the time Man. it's been like <laughs> Cyprus, Greece, stuff like yep. that. Yep. So take us through whether it's from France or when you were traveling some of the other other European countries, what were some of the experiences that were like, all right, this is getting a little wild? Man, uh Greece and Israel, man, is is like at at the top of that list. And and like I said, I I have, um, you know, fans become uh, family and even teammates become family. And uh, one of my young guys in in Israel, he got drafted by Boston uh, this past year. Um, We became tight with his family and uh, we were at a away game in Israel. And I mean, the crowd was like, it was, it was so hostile. My wife was up there with his family and his dad actually like protected, like, you know, was pushing people away from them. So it, it like, it, it, it gets, it gets crazy over there, man. Like from, from spitting to hot coins to beer bottles, like, you know, guys just don't, it, it's, it's, you know, I think Norris Cole a few years ago, he, he got a chair thrown at him while he, while they were warming up for a championship game. So it's like, you, you have to be on your, your, your toes and, you know, be alert at, at all times, you know, for certain games. That's actually something that when you go overseas and, and before you have one of those experiences, I'm sure there's probably some examples of, of people that don't get told that or, or maybe that they mm-hmm. don't know how to react. But what was your experience like with anybody telling you, okay, you're going to see something different. This is how you should handle yourself or you should be on the lookout for, if things start getting to this point, you need to start looking for exits or something yeah. like that. It was actually, I was actually, maybe it was my first year in Ukraine. So I was, you know, in Germany and, and France, they're kind of like, they get loud and they get enthusiastic about the team, but it is not to a point where it gets dangerous, you know? So my first year in Ukraine, I, you know, I have like a celebration every year, a different celebration, like when I make a three or something like that. And, uh, 
my teammate, we were, we were playing a Euro cup game in um, Serbia and my teammate, Romeo Travis, uh, he said, yeah, man, you know, when you, when you make your shot today, you know, don't do your celebration. I'm like, that's my thing. Like, why can't I? He's like, no, that's, you know, it's, it's kind of close. It's kind of close to a disrespectful sign over here. So that was just like, I was making threes. I was just going right back on defense. I wasn't doing it. <laughs> so that was my, that was my awakening, my rude awakening. Like, okay, yeah, it could, it could get serious out here on something that, you know, I don't even know anything about it, you know, in that, in, in that country. So yeah, that opened up my eyes for sure. Uh, off the pod, we had talked a little bit about um, you're, you're going to Ukraine. You just brought up Ukraine. It was a great segue. So this is now the great time I get to talk about it. Um, you're the first person on the pod that's actually gotten to Ukraine. We talked in our first guest with Tony Skin, who by that point in time, as we were talking about, had become injured in the Olympics and didn't want, he signed with a team, but he didn't wind up going. He, he retired and became a coach. Uh, mm-hmm. Take us through a little bit of that story. Uh, recount that for our listeners. And you're talking a little about your experience in playing in Ukraine. What what the day to day of that was like in Ukraine? Yeah, so like people don't understand. Like you know, they think the rivalry in college is like players are going at it, blood, sweat, and tears, and you know we don't talk or we you know everybody's beefing. But you know, I re- I respected everybody that I played with in the league, and you know from you know from Tony to Will to Follerin and um, you know, Matt Janis, like I said, Frank, we're, we're Daryl Monroe, we're, we're all cool. And, um, that year, uh, Buda Velnik is the team that, that signed Tony and, um, they were interested in me because I was coming off a good year in France and, you know, I'm going back and forth in negotiations, you know, you and Tony in the backcourt and I'm like, Tony's a killer like that. That's perfect for me. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, and he just got Nigerian in the Olympics. So, you know, I'm following that game and, he hit a had a great move on James Harden. I think made him do the split. So I'm all excited. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna happen. And he had the major injury, and um, they signed Malcolm Delaney to replace him. And um, so I'm I'm about to sign the deal, and I tell my father, you know, I'm I'm gonna go to Ukraine. And with his military background, he was like, man, I was planning on coming to see you play this year, but if you go to Ukraine, I'm not gonna risk it. You know, they scan and see I'm you know, military and, you know, they have a problem with me. So, you know, that kind of like scared me away from the deal. And I resigned uh, in France that year and I ended up getting hurt. So, you know, me and Tony was hurt the same, same year, but uh, the following year I signed in Kimmich and, um, you know, it was me, Romeo Travis, uh, Matt Gatons, who's now coaching at Drake. Um, and they had a great season this year at uh, NCAA. And, um, Paul Delaney, who went to UAB, who I played in college as well. So we had a, a, a great team, man, and we ended up losing in the finals. But, um, you know, that year was, you know, you, you think of Ukraine and, you know, I, I just thought of like baby Russia, you know what I mean? Like bombshell buildings and, you know, vodka and cigarettes and, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just thinking about movies and then, you know, I get there and, my city was very small. I mean, you can get in your car and drive in a circle and you'll be back in your apartment. That's how small it was. And, um, but I enjoyed my time. My wife loved it out there. Um, saved a lot of money on gas because I could walk to the gym. Uh, we were, we were Euro cup and we, 
we exceeded expectations on that. Like I said, we we made it to the to the finals. Um, just the only bad part is that's when they they started a conflict with Russia. So we yeah. were on the we were on the front line of a war, man, and it was it was scary. You know, we were um, thirty minutes from Odessa, which is a beautiful city. So on a day off, you know, me and the family, me and Romeo and his family, we will go to you know Odessa, eat, go to the movies, whatever. And I remember one day we were coming back, and it was just 16 fleet of tanks. And I'm like, oh man, it's about to start. The war is about to start. And as, as we turn to our city, they keep going. And I tell my wife, I'm like, you know what? If we're going to finish the season, you know, you, you and my daughter, y'all have to go home. And she was like, I'm not leaving you. I'm not doing it. I'm like, look, babe, it's, your mom is calling every day. My mom is calling because they're seeing on CNN and Mazel tell cocktail, uh, cocktails being thrown. And I'm like, look, I, uh, we had to play a game of Turkey. And I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't, I, w- I couldn't live with myself if I'm in Turkey. They start the war, shut the country down and y'all are stuck here. You know what I mean? So, you know, that was one of the hardest times that, you know, just off the court and dealing with everything. Um, but but I, I love my experience in Ukraine other, other than that, because that was, that was scary, man. Yeah. Uh, on the court, I think our our stats say that you played 51 games for them, uh, mm-hmm. averaged something like 12.7 points, you know, mm-hmm. uh, four rebounds, three assists to steal a game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, in the Euro Cup, so you're doing well, uh, not only in the Euro Cup, but also doing well in the, uh, that's the VTB league, right? So uh, it was, it was, we, we weren't VTB that year. We okay. were just U- Ukraine and Euro Cup. It was a couple of teams in the league that were VTB, but um it was a team Donetsk that was in the VTB and we played them in the semifinals. And what's crazy about, you know, this, we, we had a playoff was set up. It was a two, two, one. So it was a five, five game series, won the first two games. And as we were getting on a flight to Donetsk, the president said, okay, um, okay, guys, I want to talk to you. And we're like, okay, what's going on? We get a prep talk from the president. Maybe he's going to throw a bonus if we win or whatever. And he just had this like ghostly look in his eyes. He was like, okay, if we don't win this game, the season is going to be over. And I'm like, man, we're up 2-0. Like the season's not going to be over. We're going to play game four. And he was like, no, I think this city then, uh, is, is going to go up in flames in the next two days. And we're like, what? He was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to get bad. So that just sparked in my head, you know, the conversation I had with my wife. So we were on the bus of the game and you see thousands of people just, you know, they're going to the city center and it looked like it's about to be a clash. And man, I think I had like 32 points that game. We ended up winning, went to the airport, flew back. And two days later, man, the city was in shambles. They, they burned everything down. The airport that we flew off, flew uh, into, it was gone. So, you know, that was, that was, Ukraine was one of the best and craziest times of, of my career. We actually spoke to somebody else, Shane Lawal, um, who was actually playing in Libya uh, mm-hmm. early on in his career when the civil war broke out there. Mm. What else? I, I mean, what sort of, I think probably from my standpoint at this point, we've, we've heard a crazy story. I would say that Tony and I, the last time we heard something like that, we were kind of shell-shocked of like, wow. And it's still, still surprising to hear, mm-hmm. but say if there is somebody that if you're talking to them and they're in a place of the world that, you know, might be a little in, you know, unstable, um, mm-hmm. going down a path like that, what, 
what sort of advice would you give them generally? Obviously, it's not everything can't translate over, but right. that's a unique experience that unfortunately somebody might also have to run across. And having been through it once before, what would be your recommendation to them of like things to watch out for and things to do? I would just, my best advice is just, I, I would say pack an emergency bag because that's what I did and find the closest, um, the closest border for that that you can cross you know what i mean because nine times out of ten um whatever's going on in that in that country the the it's it's not all around you know this uh the 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 neighboring countries you know what i mean so <laughs> excuse me either one of those are going to be a safe haven and i think for us it was uh moldova so i think moldova was like a six or eight hour drive and I had a, a bag in the car ready, you know what I mean? So if, if it ever gets to that point, you know, I, I would just say have an emergency bag and, and just know where's the closest or, and safest border to just get across. And, you know, because at the end of the day is, you know, we, we love playing this game, but it's, it's about your life and, and your safety. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm Frank Turner, and you're listening to Expat Hoops. Subscribe to their YouTube channel and follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And listen to them on By George Podcasting Network on your favorite podcasting platform. We kind of went a little out of order uh, with Ukraine. You spent a lot of time either in France or, like we said, with Monaco, uh, mm-hmm. still essentially the French League. Um, mm-hmm your next experience in terms of another country doesn't doesn't happen until 2018 2019 season where you're playing in israel mm-hmm. um highly successful there again 36 israeli league games uh average 10 points a game two rebounds two assists a steal per game mm-hmm. help the team reach the israeli league playoffs uh take us through your season uh in tel aviv man that was that was kind of um it had the makings of being something very special, man. And, and, and what I mean, my dad is, you know, like I said, I, I, I met one of, you know, somebody that I'm very close to now, two people actually, and, uh, you know, Dallas Moore, one of, one of a great scorer out of Florida and, uh, Yam Madar, and, you know, those two are, you know, are, we're like this to this day. Um, and, but we had, we had a, a, a great team on paper, man. And it, and it just, for, for some reason, management and, and our coach were butter heads all year. You know what mm. I mean? And, and, and that's, that's a bad formula. You know what I mean? Because if, if management wants to sign two players that play a certain way and the coach wants to sign three players that play a way that he wants to coach, you know, you can just, you can feel the tension every time that, you know, the organization and the coach and is, you know, it, it was just bad, you know what I mean? So, and, and we, we made something out of nothing because like I said, we, the coach, it was some games. He was like, he may have got a, in the argument with, with the president. He was like, I don't care about this game. I'm going to play these young guys and in, in a stretch where the other team is playing veterans. And then 
I'm going to play my veterans when we're down 20. So it was, it was just like a, a constant circle of, man, we got to, y'all have to figure this out so we can start winning games. You know what I'm saying? So um, but we started out the season, man, like two and nine, you know, like bottom of the league, um, made a few cuts. And, you know, like, like you said, we ended up saving the season and making the playoffs. I think we were like five games under 500, you know what I mean? But we, we made the playoffs and, you know, just try to save face and, you know, make something out of nothing. But from from what from from the people that I met and the uh, and the relationships I gained, I, I would say it was successful basketball wise. I was I think that was kind of like the first time I was like, man, maybe it's about time for me to you know stop playing. You know what I'm saying? Just dealing with you know a uh, uh, not a bad organization, just like you know bad people in the organization. You know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that um, you know, as far as Israel goes, I was actually going to kind of take you this way anyway, away from basketball, so to speak, and actually living there. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people that rave about their time in Israel, not mm -hmm. only between the pay, well, sometimes pay is kind of an issue with organizations, but in terms of, right. you know, countries you expect, usually you expect to be paid on time, be paid well. Uh, mm -hmm. Israel is usually one of those, you know, some exceptions maybe, but um, mm -hmm. in terms of living, uh, you talked about some of the friendships that you made. If you could kind of expand upon that, because a couple episodes ago, we had Cam Long on where he was talking about. Cam like, Long, really, my guy, yep. 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 He's like, I really felt embraced there. I mean, you he know, was we a man a out there, man. And, and, and he, his year when I was out there, uh, he said it was going to be his last year. And I'm like, are you sure? Because the way you playing, like, you're going to be MVP of this league, like, in the next, the, for the next two, three years. He was like, yeah, I'm done, Shoe. Like, it's, it's over for me. So he was, you know, like I said, just just having a relationship with him. He was on the same team as Daryl. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's like the world is small, man. That's why I try to tell these college guys, like, okay, it's cool to live in the rivalry and be intense and stuff, but you don't like this. This can be your brother in the next four or five years. You know what I'm saying? Like, you never know. So, um, yeah. But Israel is beautiful, man. Like my, my family loved it. Uh, we were we were right by the beach. The weather is great. You know, the people were great, you know what I mean? And, and it just so happened I was the unlucky one. I was on the team that were paying late, you know what I'm saying? So if, if I could if I could have had the full experience of, you know, the organization being on time and, 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 and being paid on time, I, I think that would have been like a 10 out of 10. But, you know, I, I was I was in a spot where our facilities were, were great. Um, everything was great. Our fans were rowdy. It was just, you know, like I said, when when the coach and the organization just butt heads, it's, it's a, a, you, you can't be successful. And then, like I said, we we made something out of nothing just on like, come on, man, on paper, we're better than this. And so it was like kind of a, a team thing to win enough games to make the playoffs. But now here's, but the, it, like I said. here's the million dollar question. Uh, Actually, I didn't realize the pun I was making there. Um, but, <laughs> but in terms of the the pay, um, do you think that that was something that maybe the coach was that kind of like behind a little bit of the the background? Was it kind of like the organization and the coach wasn't getting along, and it also manifested to the players with the pay late and everything? Oh, for sure. So it, it, once you once you see the the coach and the, and the management butting heads, and then you know I think we won our first game by like thirty. So boom, you get your first check, everybody's happy. And, and the coach was like, well, I, I, want, I want this player and, and the management want this player. Then it 
spews into the media. And then next thing you know, every other team around the league knows what's going on. Like Daryl was messing with me like, man, you good, bro. I hear everything. I hear this. I hear that. And it's just like payments get a month late, a month and a half late. And it's just a cycle. And now you're just you just lose passion, you know, for like, OK, I'm just going to show up for practice and I'm going home. I'm going if practice is at four o'clock, I'm going to show up at three fifty five <laughs> and I'm going to be the first one to hit the showers. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm not getting paid. I'm, you know what I mean? So it, yeah. it, it's just a it's just a lot of stuff that, you know, mentally. And that's what I want. That's my message that I tell younger guys, like mentally, if, if, if you're not, if you're not tough mentally, it'll break you, man. It'll break you. Cause you'd be like, man, I don't even want to see basketball. I don't care about basketball, but then it's just like, and your core, you're like, I actually love the game. So I'm going to go out here and give it a hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? So it, it wears on you when you're, when you're at a dysfunctional organization, and, and not even the organization, because the organization can be good. It's just if the coach and the management of buttonheads is, is, is a disaster. Yeah. And you're, I mean, depending on where your family is, you're either alone or it's only you and your family or, exactly. or maybe some people that you know along the way as well. So right. as far right. as your experience in Israel, was that the first time that you'd ever been paid late or had a pay issue? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was good. I was telling everybody, I'm like, man, I was. I was kind of lucky, man, you know, being in Greece, I mean, uh, being in Germany and, and France, you know, those, those organizations, you know, they, they have to show their budget before they actually make a team and you have to have a backup plan to, you know, to give to the government. And if that falls through, the government pays a salary. So it, it was, you have so many safe falls and um, it kind of works against the players because it's like, okay, uh, you know, they're going to sometimes lowball you because, hey, Okay, you want to go to Israel for uh, 20, 40, 50,000 more where you're not going to get your money or you want to take less and get your money on time. You know what I'm saying? So teams actually use that to their advantage. So um, kind of almost in the way of like the NFL, like where they do like you what the bottom line with those contracts are. What is my guaranteed money versus, Mm -hmm. you know, you see these eye popping figures, but it's like, well, you can be cut at any time. Exactly. 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 It's the same thing. Exactly. So it's like, you know, going going to Israel was just like, okay, I can see being a month late and, you know, okay, we started bad, but like, well, we are here working hard and we're losing games at the buzzer and this and that, like, okay, we're not just giving up, you know what I'm saying? And then it's just like, you know, a month turns to two months and then it's just a repeated cycle. And now you have to, you're on the phone with your agent, you're on the phone with FIBA lawyers and you have to threat, threaten the team to sue to get what you're owed in your contract. It's just, you know, it it becomes not about basketball then, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, And then guys, that you know management owes you money and then they just they show up and with a smile on their face or they show up to your practice or want to shake your hand or want to talk to you i'm like man don't you owe me two months worth of myself like so it's you know you we have to be professional professionals you know what i mean because it's a, it's a dirty game out there and if if you have an attitude or you know uh cuss somebody out because you're frustrated now we're the bad guys, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, like I said, this is more mental, mental strength, mental toughness. Um, you really learn a lot about yourself when you're dealing with, you know, organizations like that. Absolutely. 
So to take you from Israel, uh, their last stop stops plural uh, were in Greece. Uh, two mm-hmm. different clubs. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to take us through uh, those last two stops to the current day. Yeah. So, um, like I said, with in Israel basketball wise, I felt like it was a down year. I, you know, I was questioning myself. Um, even though I averaged double digit points, I just was like, I was, I wasn't a good fit for that coach. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not an ISO player, break you down. And, uh, you know, I, I come off, you know, pin downs and I like movement and, and that coach, it was just, he wanted to play LA fitness style. And that's just not my game. I told him, you know, told him that. So uh, going to Greece, speaking to this coach and, you know, he's like, you know, I'm going to give you the green light. I know what type of player you are. And, you know, I know last season, it just wasn't a fit and, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you out. And it was that first year with the rock list was just a breath of fresh air for me. Like it, uh, you know, I finally felt like, myself again and was playing playing uh, great basketball this was their first year back in the first division after eight years so the fans were I mean the fans embraced me and my family man like like no other you know what I mean and that's that's one of my favorite favorite teams that I played for and it just so happened the pandemic just you know ended all that momentum we you know it was going to be their first time in the playoffs you know like I said they Every, every time they came up to first division, they went back down, you know, they got relegated. So this was their first year. Like we, we were, we were two games under 500, but we were like six in the league fighting for the fifth or fourth spot with, um, you know, six or seven games left. So we were guaranteed to make the playoffs. So it was like the city was rowdy. The fans are rowdy. We were playing good as a team. I finally was, you know, showing people that last year was, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I, um, I wasn't getting uh, washed up, as, as they say, you know what I mean? And then, you know, COVID just killed all that momentum, you know what I mean? And fast forward to uh, this past season, you know, uh, Aris and, and uh, Iraq List are kind of like rivals. Less, less of rivals, there's three teams in Thessaloniki. Um, Iraq List, which I played for my first year in Greece. Pout, which everybody hates if you're not on Pout, and uh, Aris, which is the team that I went to uh, this past season. And so talking to that coach, he was like, yeah, man, you know, we want to capitalize off the season you had. Um, We want you in the backcourt with Mario Chalmers. Like I said, the the team on paper was was excellent. You know what I mean? And uh, I had interest from my old coach. He was at a different team in Greece on the island, and which in hindsight, I should have went there because I was familiar with that coach. I played great on them, but I was like, you know, my wife and my family, we love the city where my wife would, could would drive around there. She knew her way around. So just being comfortable outweighed going with my old coach, which would have let me play my game. You know what I mean? And when I tell you, man, this past year was a disaster because <laughs> it was, I walked into the same situation in Israel, like management and the coach is just, you know, button heads, payments were late, uh, playing time, it, it wasn't how it was, you know, he was, this coach was actually the first coach who told me he doesn't feel comfortable playing his best players. And I was like, I I, I was like, I said, coach, I, it, it had me shocked. 
it had me shocked because in preseason, you you know, we play a lot of friendly games, you know, to get in condition and game shape, and you get your chemistry with your teammates. So me and Mario Chalmers were supposed to be in the backcourt, point guard, shooting guard. Okay, we we need to, you know, a few few games to, you know, learn how to play with one another. And we would play maybe we would start the game, play five minutes together, and then he would play the second quarter, I would play the third quarter, he would play the fourth quarter. And I'm like, how are we going to go into the season not knowing, you know, I don't know when he's going to attack. He doesn't know when I want the ball. You know what I'm saying? So I talked to the coach. And I'm like, coach, we're preparing all wrong because we're playing against the team's best five in the fourth quarter. You know, whether we win or lose, you know, they, they're getting experience, you know. He said, yeah, but, I, you know, I don't want to play my best players together because uh, it's going to take away from you guys' game. I'm like, coach. <laughs> That's up to us to figure out. You know what I'm saying? So that was that was the first coach that told me he doesn't want to play his best players on the floor together. And, you know, I should have known then. I was telling my agent, I'm like, yeah, this is not the best place for me. And, and this was before the season started. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I, and just dealing with injuries at the – it was just it was just a disaster. So um, I, I, during the FIBA window, that's when guys go to play for their national teams. I just parted ways with, with the team, man, and, you know, stay. I've been home since. Hmm. So it, it, it – Oh, go ahead. In the hindsight, it kind of hurt me because, you know, now that COVID is around and, you know, you have to deal with testing and it's just a it's a, it's a different field in, in recruiting now. So when I parted ways with the team, I should have flew back to Greece and parted ways and because teams were asking me, Oh, are you available? Are you still in Greece? And I'm like, no, I'm in America. And the process is I would have had to get a COVID test, wait 72, I, I think uh, 72 hours is the max that, you know, you can fly with the COVID test that you just took. Um, and uh, so they were getting guys that were already overseas. And I was, you know, it was, I had like four or five job opportunities that was just like, oh man, you're in America. Okay. Uh, give us three days to see. And that third day they were signed somebody who was in like Slovenia or Slovakia or something. So, but yeah, that's, that was my, my last experience, man. Oh, wow. And so when, <laughs> so when exactly did you part ways and how long it, I know you said you've been back in America since, but when about was that in, in COVID? It era? was February. Uh, I got home February 8th on my dad's birthday. And after Super Bowl Sunday, I got home. And hmm. I, I've been home ever since. So um, had a couple of couple of deals in uh, Poland, Lithuania, um, and Macedonia that just fell through because teams teams wanted me right away. Like if I was in Greece, I wouldn't even ha have to have a COVID test. I could have just flew to those countries, two hour flight. But you know they wanted players within forty eight hours, and you know. Yeah, there's actually currently as we sit down and record this, there was I think it was yesterday where you might have actually even retweeted, but I know some of our past guests have kind of interacted with it a little bit too, where somebody made the comment about like overseas teams are like, can you play today? Like, you know, like signing and everything yep, like that. Yep, so it's exactly, yep. the, I mean, it's, that's a, a joke, but it's also, there's an element it's of truth true. to it. Yeah, it's yep. true. It's true. I mean, like we, we joke about it because we trying to keep it lighthearted, but it is like, you know, you guys teams are already put together guys have been practicing for weeks and you know they assign a player of like hey come right off the plane 
physical can you play i'm like man can i get through this jet lag and the time difference and can i put my bags down can i you know so it's yeah it's, it's, it's a lot yeah your contract begins immediately <laughs> yeah, immediately from, from, from soon as soon as that that thing is, is faxed over or emailed over as soon as that ticket is issued they want you you got to get off the plane with your sneakers tied man yeah so still looking for for deals i i know a little bit off the pot you're considering what you're going to do uh, by mm-hmm. now you're 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 getting a little older. I mean, I say this as a 37. I am older than you, but I'm also not yeah. an athlete and everything right. like that. So when I say older, I mean older in terms of athlete and you're starting to look, what's next for you? Well, for me, I I still want to play because I, you know, like I said, I I'm a winner above all. You know, I, I want winning to be next to my name. I just don't want to be a guy known for he just wanted to get his or he just like I'm all about team success every everybody's involved and everybody's happy and, and we're winning and you know this past situation that just wasn't you know it wasn't a fit for me and I don't I don't want to leave you know I don't want that to be an asterisk on my resume you know that oh uh, when he retired and uh he averaged five points and they were losing and this and that and and it's a lot that that went into that but for me I, I don't make I don't make excuses like I could have been better I could have done this and that but you know, now I'm looking into the, you know, the Latin American market, the, you know, the Asian market and, you know, just going from there, just staying ready, you know. So um, this is like the first preseason I've missed in my career, but, you know, I'm ready to help anybody out right now. You know, I still can play at a high level, you know, and for what I do, my game isn't pred- predicated on athleticism, you know, it's about thinking the game, shooting, um, I'm a great passer. So. You know, uh, which is great for overseas too, because a lot of those, a lot of those leagues, leagues are more tactical than they are necessarily. Exactly. Relying. Yep. Exactly. So. Exactly. So, like I said, it with with COVID now, it 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 gave the ball back into the team's hands because usually, how it works is like if 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 a player is coming off a great season, there's a bidding war and teams are like were overpay for a player, and then that player wouldn't live up to expectations, so the team would be upset. So now teams are just you know they're throwing the low low contract and guys are like i'm not gonna wait around so they're taking it so is it is actually in the team's hands and you know with guys like me okay i'm i'm up in age but i've played in every league i've competed against you know ex-nba players I've, I've i've seen every situation and so my resume you know teams are like okay yeah he come he's coming off a bad season but he can bring this leadership and this to the team but he's going to ask for this much money. So we're just going to sign this young guy. And if it doesn't work, okay, Jamal's still going to be at home. He can, you know what I mean? So you yeah, know, that's sure how teams, I'm looking at it. Teams probably also can build in a little bit, which, I mean, there might be some element of truth to some of it with some of the teams, but I would have to imagine that some of the teams are like, oh, finances are tough with COVID and mm-hmm. they can justify giving lower amounts yeah. of money. We'd love to yep. be able to pay Jamal, but yep. we can't yep. afford them sort of thing. Yep, yep. That was it, it goes hand in hand. And a lot of a lot of guys are they they don't know that. Like, like you said, that's a that's a great point. A lot of guys don't know that and, and are frustrated, like, oh man, y'all have more money than that. And it's like, now nah, they even before COVID, some of these teams didn't have a lot of money, you know what I'm right. saying? So you know, even even now. So yeah, it goes, it goes both ways, man.
that was VCU's Jamal Schuler in the midst of a pro career that has spanned over a decade overseas. Thanks for listening again, and if you want to hear more from Jamal and see all of our past content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post extra clips from interviews you can't hear anywhere else. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to see all of our latest episodes and hear from our guests as they go on playing overseas. For Andy Hoverman, I'm Tony Budney. We'll see you next time on Expat Hoops.